Good morning, church. It's an honor to be here with you. All right, so I believe that the Lord has a special word for us today. Um, but before we do that, I want to open us in prayer. Is that okay? Okay. God, we just acknowledge you in this place right now. Hmm. We acknowledge that you are real. We acknowledge that right now you see us. That you are seated on your throne. That you look at us with eyes of love. We acknowledge your presence in our midst. And today we don't want to sit here. I don't want to preach like you're not here. Like I'm not preaching with you right next to me. God, I pray that you would fill us with a holy conviction today. That the words that come out of my mouth would not be from my own self, but that it would be from the heart of God that pierces like a sword between bone and marrow. So Lord, today release your word. Release your word like fire that burns on our hearts, that will burn up, God, our sin. God, that will burn up our weariness, that will burn up, God, our afflictions, that will burn up our worries and our anxieties until all that's left is your love. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so for these last few months, I've been... Um, I've been asking the Lord for a word for the Bay Area, right? When PB asked us to preach, um, I got good advice, which was like to preach from your heart and to preach from the verses that always resonated with you. But um, the Lord was like, no, I actually want you to preach something completely different. And so today the word is, um, I just believe it's a word over the Bay Area, but also I believe that it's a word for a church that's on mission in the Bay Area. Did you know that? Did you guys know that you're on mission in the Bay Area? Right, sometimes we think of missions and it's like overseas, right? Missions is something that you go to another nation and do. But if you're living in the Bay Area, you are probably called to the Bay Area. You are a missionary here. You are called to be a light. You are called to bring the kingdom of God forth, okay? Okay, so today I'm gonna preach out of Matthew 11:28. Um, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And so I'm going to talk about rest. Right? I'm going to speak to the weariness and the anxiety in people's hearts. And I'm going to talk about God's perspective. Okay? So some context first. Um, during the time of Jesus, there was weariness among the Jewish people. Weariness. Right, these people were living under a system of law keeping where they basically took the Mosaic law and they added hundreds of burdens on top of it. So laws on laws and laws. And it created basically this system of some like 365 prohibitions, 365 things that you could not do, right? And some 250 commandments. So 250 things you had to do. Can you imagine living under that? I mean, like, seriously, right? Like, when I, in Sunday school, I remember learning about the Ten Commandments, right? And the teaching and the messaging there was, you can't even keep those ten, right? You can't even keep those ten. It's impossible. Some 600 laws 
these people were living under. Of course, there's weariness, right? Of course, there's exhaustion. So when Jesus comes on the scene, right, he's speaking to a people that are weary and heavy laden, that are living under the system of burden. And he says, and the verse is already on the screen, way to go, Richie. Um, He says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Mm, amen. Amen. Can, I, can you say that louder? Amen. Amen. When it comes down to it, right, these people that Jesus is speaking to, they're burdened in their souls. He's not really, I mean, this applies to physical fatigue because it's all connected, right? But what he really cares about is the weariness and the anxiety and the heaviness and the emptiness in our souls. It's an internal weariness. So this passage, right, um, Jesus uses this imagery of a yoke. Who's familiar with what a yoke is? Okay, a few people. Okay, well, I don't know about you guys, but when I first heard about this verse, right, I heard it, like someone was praying about it. I didn't read it in the Bible, but I thought, I thought it was an egg yolk. <laughs> I never thought to go to the Bible and, and check it out, right? I always thought it was an egg, like for years. I thought it was, take my egg yolk upon you. Yeah, mercy. Mercy. Right? And basically, I mean, okay, how many of you know that you miss out on so much of scripture when you don't actually figure out what's going on? Yeah? Right? When you don't figure out what the context is, when you don't figure out what the historical background is, when you don't ask what Jesus is actually saying in the word, Right? When you bring your own assumptions and your own worldview to the Bible instead of living under it, you miss out on so much goodness. Right? I was like, yeah, it's something about rest and coming to Jesus and he'll give me rest and egg yolks are probably nutritious. So that's, you know. Okay, so that's not what a yoke is. Right? In biblical times, people were super familiar with agricultural terminology. I love Jesus because he speaks and teaches in a way that relates to us, right? He spoke to the Jewish people out of the stories and out of the imagery of their lives so the common people could understand, not just the Pharisees who are learned, not just the teachers, right, the people at the top of society, but the everyday person, the farmer, the person that was tending to their flock of sheep. He spoke in accessible stories and teaching, right? Okay, so... Here's what a yoke actually is. You can't really see it. Can you guys see it? You guys see that machine on top of those ox? Not machine, but that like wood thing. Right, a yoke is a harness. It's like a heavy harness that's put on two oxen, and it's for labor. It's for heavy burdens. It's for, it's for bearing heavy loads. Right, and the Jewish audience, they were familiar with this imagery of a yoke. Right, in the Old Testament... Um, the yoke was often referred to as like a yoke of slavery, a yoke of bondage, right? It signaled oppression, 
to other nations. So for example, the word says um, that Jewish, the Israelites were under the yoke of slavery to the Egyptians, right? So if you were yoked to something or someone, you were in submission to that thing or that person. So when you go to this verse in Matthew 11, what's actually being implied here when Jesus says, take up my yoke, right, to these exhausted people, is that they were under another yoke. They were under another yoke that was making them weary and that was making them burden, right? So what was that yoke? Well, Richie, next verse, please. In Galatians 4 and 5, the Bible interprets itself, praise God. Paul talks about this idea of another yoke, right? And these are excerpts from Galatians 4 and 5. I couldn't put the whole two chapters on here. But Paul says, so also when we were under age, we were in slavery under the elemental spiritual forces of the world. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were slaves to those who by nature are not gods. But now that you know God, or rather are known by God, how is it that you are turning back to those weak and miserable forces? Do you wish to be enslaved by them all over again? Stand firm then, and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. So Paul says this church, they were formerly under a different yoke, right? The yoke that Jesus is speaking to, a different yoke, and he calls it the yoke of slavery, of bondage. And what were they in bondage to? Hmm? What are the spiritual forces of the world? Hmm? You can say it. It's Satan and his demons. I was telling my husband this morning, I was like, you know, when I was thinking about preaching, I really didn't think the Lord would have me talk about Satan and his demons. I really didn't think so. But here we are, and I want to be faithful to the word, so I'm going to talk about Satan. I'm going to talk about demons, okay? Okay. So Paul is reminding the church that before they knew God, they were in bondage to these spiritual forces of the world. They were under the yoke of demons. But even after they became Christians, it was still possible for them to come under that influence and bondage to demonic lies. Right? He says, stand firm. Don't submit again to the yoke of slavery. But the temptation's there. Right? The Jewish people, he's saying the ways they had twisted the law of God and salvation was under the influence of demonic lies and was creating widespread weariness and burden among the people. Right? How many of you know that Satan and his lies, they can't give you rest in your soul. They can't give you peace. Any peace that these demonic lies give is counterfeit peace. Right? And so when Jesus says, take up my yoke, right, in Matthew 11, he's also saying, be free from your bondage to the demonic lies. But here's the thing, right? When Paul is talking about this yoke of slavery in that Jewish society, he's not just talking to the Jews, right? It's not that like they're extra twisted and extra demonic as a people, right? He's also talking to Gentile believers in the church because he's speaking to the Galatian church and the Galatian church was made up of Jewish believers as well as Gentile believers who came from pagan faiths, so they, you know, more closely resembled demon worship, right, with their pagan gods and their false worship. But to Paul, they're in the same category. Whatever you believe, whether it's that you can rely on your own works to earn salvation and blessing from God, 
or you worship your pagan gods, as long as it's against the truth of God, as long as it's not the gospel, it's all bondage to demonic lies. If you submit yourself to anything that is not the truth of God, that does not come from the gospel of Jesus, it's demonic lies. It's bondage. Y'all are real quiet. So before I go any further, I want to read this one thing. I promise you this is the only time this sermon that I'm going to read from my page. But I think it's going to help you. right? It's from one of my favorite authors and pastors, John Piper. I love John Piper. He's so faithful. I don't believe, I don't agree with everything he says. (laughs) Shocking. I don't believe or agree with everything he says, but I agree with a lot. So he says... Not many people today believe that there are such things as demons, right? Right. These are evil spirits who oppose God, blind the minds of unbelievers, and do their best to deceive, if possible, the elect, us, Christians. There is such a difference between voodoo, witch doctors, black magic, divination, and exorcism on the one hand, right? Very, very obvious demonic things. Um, And space technology, microsurgery, word processors, all of these tech things, on the other hand, that the enlightened, high-tech West, that's us, us in our culture, we're the emancipated, high-tech West, right? We find it hard to believe in demons. Even though our Lord took demons with deadly seriousness, we find it hard to take them seriously because in our culture, we don't see many of the kinds of strange supernatural manifestations we typically associate with demons. But if we reject their reality, we reject the counsel of Jesus and all his apostles. So how does this yoke of slavery, how does bondage to demonic lies actually manifest in our world today, in the, in the, high, in the emancipated high-tech West, right? In our culture today, what it often looks like is dominant worldviews, systems of beliefs, systems of thoughts, ideologies that people live under that are against the word of God. And these are the, these are the lies, right? The systems, the ideologies that people submit their entire lives to. It could be it's how they identify themselves, it's who they are, it's the, it's the Bible to which they live their life according to. It's the truths that they live their life according to, right? It includes things like, I'm just talking really broad and sweeping, there's no spiritual realm, so God and angels and demons aren't real, right? And if there's no spiritual realm, there's no, eterni- there's no eternity, there's no eternal consequence for our actions here, Right? God didn't create humans. Humans created God with our imagination. Very humanist. There's no absolute objective truth. Truth is relative. Have you ever heard that? I can have my truth, and you can have your truth, and somehow they're both true. I think that is the most idiotic of all of these. It makes me mad. It makes me mad. It is so stupid. It is so stupid. No, there is one truth. Come on. Truth is truth. And two truths can't exist in the same world, in the same universe. And yet, literally, guys, that's what everyone believes, isn't it? You speak your truth. I'll speak mine. 
coexist. I can believe in Buddha and Jesus. Mercy. And the one lie in our culture that I really want to call out today, that I feel like God is putting his finger on, is this one. It's idolatry, that your life, it's all about you. That you are your God. It's the idea that you're the center of your life. It's about your pleasure, your truth, your name and your reputation, your dreams, your desires. Your life belongs to you. You worship at the altar of me. And this type of thinking, it's actually sometimes subtle, right? I don't think people are setting up altars of their own faces and worshiping it. You don't see that. People post a lot of Instagrams of themselves, though. I'm just going to say that. Right? But it's subtle. Even in the Christian church. Hmm. You could be doing all the right things as a Christian. You could be serving faithfully and even loving people and being nice to people and kind and gentle. You could be, scary, up here preaching and leading prayer, but you could be doing it for your own reputation. That scares me so much, God. I never want to, like, I, ugh, I never want to get to that place, but, you know, sometimes it's a, but we're tempted. We're tempted. We want people to like us, you know, and we want people to respect us, and we want people to adore us and worship us. Right, even as I was preparing the sermon, right, I could feel myself feeling this desire to want to be entertaining, to want to be interesting, to want to be funny. I'm not funny, okay? I'm not, I just know that, right? To want to, to want to give you a good sermon. And I felt this fear that you'll judge me, that I'm going to be rejected, right? And I made it about me. But this sermon is not about me, Right, you could take me out and replace me with someone else and God would still give them a word. Yeah. Truthfully, right? This whole week I was like to my husband, can you preach for me? Can you preach for me? <laughs> but the Lord, you know, I'm going to obey Jesus. Right? And so this lie that your life is all about you in our culture, it's not far from the walls of the church. And if you take an honest look at yourself, it's not far from the walls of your heart. Right? And what that type of thinking feeds into is this idea that your life is about getting more for yourself. More pleasure, more happiness, more praises from people, more accomplishments, more money. But none of these things, right? none of them are inherently bad. Okay? I'm not saying money is bad. I'm not saying that having people like you and love you is bad. Like, I want you to like me. Right? I like you too. It's not inherently bad, but it's the heart behind it. Are you worshiping at the altar of me? Or is your life about God? So there's a story when someone asks um, John D. Rockefeller, who was a super rich guy, um, how much money is enough? Hmm? How much money do you think is enough? He responds quite honestly. He says, just a little bit more, that's how much is enough. Just a little bit more than what I have right now, then I'll be happy then I'll be fulfilled, 
then that'll be enough. Then my soul can rest. Then I'll feel peace. Just a little bit more. Just more. I just want this one thing. And then I'll feel rested in my soul. And then I'll feel peace. That's the way our world thinks. I mean, that's the way that we sometimes think too, honestly. Right? The problem with that is it never stops. Like you're never content because there will never be a point when you say, I have enough. I'm riffing a little bit, but the reason you'll never feel like you have enough with that mentality is because only God is enough. There is this big God-shaped void in your heart and your soul that only God can fit, that only God can say, I am enough for you. Right? So the ways of the world influenced by these demonic lies, they can't give you peace and joy, and rest, and the feeling of being truly content in your soul. We all know this, right? We think the problem with this emptiness, and the restlessness, and even the anxieties in our hearts, is that we need to fill it up with more things, to do more, to get more, to be more, right? But if that actually worked, if that system really worked, you would see a lot more happy people in the world. You would see a lot more content and fulfilled people in the world right? Especially in the Bay Area when I honestly think a lot of us, a lot of people have a lot that they could call enough, but it's never enough. So the yoke of slavery, right? Matthew 11, Jesus is speaking to not just these people that are tired from their everyday lives, but they're in bondage. They're in bondage to demonic lies, right? And Jesus's answer, okay? Can we actually put Matthew 11 back up? He looks at these people, he looks at us, right, with our restlessness in our souls. He looks at the world with the anxieties in their hearts. And he makes an invitation to all who are weary and burdened. And he says, come to me. Come to me and I'll give you rest in your soul. First of all, Jesus' answer to restlessness is so different from ours, right? We say things like, I need a vacation. I need a break. I need to disconnect, right? I tell my husband all the time, can we just go back to our honeymoon? I just want to go back to our honeymoon. Let's disconnect from the world, right? Or we try to do more to fill that emptiness. But Jesus says, if you're weary and restless in your soul, in your spirit, come to me. He calls us not to like another system of works, not to a 10-step or a seven-step process like other religions, right? We don't need to earn our peace. But he calls us to himself. The path to your rest doesn't start with what you do or don't do, but your rest comes from who you're connected to, the person of Jesus Christ. And that's what he does. He calls us to a person, not a system, not a list of things, but he says, come to me How aware are you of the person of Jesus? Are you aware of him right now? Can you just close your eyes? I'm not ending the sermon, but just for a second. The person of Jesus, and I just invite you right now, what is he thinking? What is he doing? How is he loving you? With feelings and thoughts, the person of Jesus.
Okay, now you can open your eyes. Thanks for uh, entertaining me with that. So in calling us to himself, Jesus invites us to take up his yoke rather than the yoke of bondage, rather than the lies of the world and these demonic lies. Right? Remember that image of a yoke, though? Right? That, that heavy thing on top of the oxen? His yoke is still a yoke. It's still labor. It's still work. It's still submission. It's still obedience. But in this case, it is submission to Jesus and his teachings and not the lies of the world. In this case, it's submission to the truth that can set you free and not the lies that will lead to your bondage. And his yoke, it's different from the world. Jesus and his teachings, it's so different from the world. He says his yoke is easy. Can we go back to the verse again? He says his yoke is easy and his burden is light and you'll find rest for your soul. How many of you want that, rest for your soul? Yeah, me too. Right? But the word easy here is better translated from the Greek as kindly. It doesn't really mean easy in that there's going to be no hardship, right? Just ask the early church and the persecution they faced. Just ask the martyrs, ask the apostles. Honestly, ask any Christian, ask yourself. It's not easy, right? It doesn't mean there's no hardship. Instead, this kindly yoke means that his ways, Jesus' ways are kind and gracious to those that are submitted to him, right? That's a direct contrast with the harshness and the hypocrisy of the Pharisees that the Jewish people were living under. It's also a contrast to the spirit of the world and Satan, whose intention is to kill, steal, and destroy. His yoke is kindness and graciousness. There's also another layer of meaning when Jesus says, take up my yoke and learn from me. He's also alluding to the imagery of the two oxen being joined together. And sometimes, right, you have one ox that's the bigger, more experienced one, and it carries the bulk of the load while the younger and more inexperienced one is just being trained and learning from the older. And so Jesus is also saying, be joined to me. Do it with me. Learn from me. You're not just laboring for me. You're laboring with me. He says, I'm that big ox. I think that's so cute. Like, Jesus is that big ox, and I'm the little one just learning from him. Right? I think that's so cute. <laughs> Right? And he says, I'm that big ox. I've carried the heaviest part of the load for you by dying for you on the cross and securing eternal life for you. That's why his burden is so light, guys, because he did what you and I couldn't do. He lifted the burden, the heaviest burden for us, so that when we come to him, his burden is light. Right? And as that little ox, we learn from Jesus. And guess what? Jesus is never restless. He's never anxious. He's never worried, right? And the more we take up his yoke, the more we learn from him, the more we submit to him, we become more like him. And as we become more like him, our anxieties and our restlessness, they fade. We trust in God. We see things from his perspective rather than ours. There's peace for us in Christ. Submit to him, but be joined to him too. This passage is also the only time in the four Gospels that Jesus describes his own heart. 
And what does he call it? He says, my heart is gentle and humble. Does anyone else find that perplexing? Okay, maybe you all are holy, but I mean, of all the things Jesus could have used to describe his own heart, right? Jesus, the image of the invisible God, the uncreated one, the one who was at the beginning of the beginning of the beginning of the beginning of the beginning, the all-knowing one, the all-powerful one, the Lord of lords, the King of kings. And in describing his heart, he doesn't say it's powerful and it's beautiful and it's glorious, right? I wouldn't even describe my heart the way that he did, but he says my heart is gentle and humble. My heart is gentle and humble. That's the beauty of Jesus. That's the beauty of Jesus, you guys, is that Like, he's God. Do you get that? He's God. He is beautiful. He is glorious. And yet, in looking to his people who are weary and anxious and burdened, he says, my heart is gentle and humble. You don't know the heart of God if you haven't encountered his gentleness, his gentleness to you. And because his heart is gentle and humble, we can come to him. We can come to him who is God, who is holy. Because of his humility, it says he did not count equality with God as a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself for us and humbled himself to the point of death. That's the humility of Jesus. He didn't have to do that. You get that? He really didn't have to. Because of his gentleness, rather than come and condemn us for our sin, and he totally could have because he's God and he's a perfect judge, he took our sin and shame and nailed it to the cross with his death. Because his heart is gentle and humble, he didn't hold our sins over us but he got low under us and he died for us. His gentleness and humility mean everything to us. His gentleness and his humility, they are his heart. That is who Jesus is. And when he looks at you, he does not say, he's not harsh with you. He is not harsh with your shortcomings. He is not harsh with your sins and with your failures. He comes like a mother hen with the gentleness that gets down below you and lifts you up so you are seated in heavenly places with him. Come on, yeah, you can clap. Yeah, that's for Jesus, right? And only this Jesus who is gentle and humble can be the answer to the restlessness and the anxiety and the emptiness in our souls. Only Jesus. Right, this is for our world, our culture that's always busy and restless and looking for the next thing to satisfy them. And this is for us even as a church when we sometimes and we go back and we submit to the yoke of slavery, we submit to the lies that we were delivered from that try to tell us where to find our identity and where to find our fulfillment. 
And Jesus says, the way to that rest is to take up his yoke. Not the world's ways, not the teachings of the enemy about how to get rest, about how to live your life, about what is meaningful, about your identity. He calls you out from whatever it is that you're submitted to, whatever it is that you choose to live your life according to that is leading to nothing but emptiness in your soul. He calls you out from that. He says, be joined to me. Labor with me. Live for me. So now I want to talk a little bit about the labor of Jesus in our day and age, right, in the Bay Area. I work in San Francisco, which is, uh, I mean, some people call it the heart of the Bay, right? It's the city of the Bay Area. And I work at this big, well-known tech company. I'll just say it, Facebook. I don't know why. Anyway, I work for Facebook. I work for Instagram. And, you know, for a lot of people who get there, it's like their dream jobs, right? They, like, worked their little tushies off for years to get to where they are. It's like, every, it's like you know, like, this was my dream. This was my life goal. It's, and you would think that when people get there, right, they're fulfilled, Right, they basically make enough money to, I don't know, keep working and then have a lot for retirement and just live a very content life with all the perks and all the things that come with it. And yet, I mean, especially these past few months, I just talk to people, right, and I just hear what people are saying, and I just hear rampant anxiety. These people that are in some ways at the top of, our, of their careers, right, at a very yeah, at the peak of their careers, discontentment, anxiety, always like, I want the next promotion, I want more money, I want more recognition, I want more, I want more, I'm not satisfied, oh, maybe it'll be another role, maybe it's gonna be another job, oh, I'm a PMM, okay, I wanna become a designer now, because maybe that's gonna, gonna fill the emptiness in my heart. And that's, you just hear that. Right? And that's the lies of the enemy. That's a very real manifestation, right? An, exa an example of the bondage and the yoke of slavery in our world. Right? And as a region that has global reach, right? as, a, as a region with a tech industry that has massive impact, how many of you guys know that? Like the tech industry in the Bay Area, what happens here reaches the world. It reaches the nations. It's crucial, right? It's massive, the demonic strongholds here, they're real. They're not even subtle. They're like so noticeable. If you're a believer, you just, oh yeah. He's not trying to hide it. It's there. And I mean, in this region, but honestly everywhere, the work of Satan is the ultimately what? To blind people to the truth of God, right? He makes people come into agreement to join with him in his lies, about God, and usually it's about how God doesn't exist, or God is a Santa Claus in the sky, right? About Satan himself. And, and in this area, it's Satan doesn't exist. Demons don't exist. That's the lie, right? There's also lies about Jesus and Christianity and Christians, right? I'm not going to say it's hard to be a Christian in the Bay Area, because I think a lot of the fear comes from us, right? But it's not easy either. It's not easy being a Christian at Facebook, it's not easy. It really isn't. It's not easy being a Christian in the Bay, right? Even this idea that people believe about freedom, right, and how you're your own God, you do you, you live for you, no one else can tell you what to do. 
right? Freedom, right? No, that's bondage, right? That's bondage. And when Jesus looks at the Bay Area, and as I've been praying and praying about this, right, what he really desires, guys, is not to come down and, like, smite everyone. He desires to show mercy. He desires to show kindness and graciousness. He desires to be gentle. He wants to free people from their bondage. He wants to free people from their bondage to the lies that kill their souls. He wants to free people from their anxieties. He wants to free us from our weariness and from our fatigue and from our mentality of more, 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 a feeling like it's never going to be enough. He wants to free us from that, from our spiritual death. And what he does, I think these words still, still ring true today. He calls them, he calls us to himself in our widespread weariness. He says, come to me, take up my teachings, take up my yoke and find rest for your soul. He says that over the Bay Area, right? But Jesus, he doesn't just show up and do it, right? I mean, I think very few people have had like real, like Jesus shows up in your room and talks to you. I always wanted that. I'm still believing for that. But that doesn't happen for most people, right? How does Jesus set captives free? How does he do it? He does it through us. Yeah, A+. He does it through us, his church. Right? Remember those two oxen? Come and labor with me. Come and be joined with me. Come and do my work with me, but I promise you it's going to be kind to you. I'm going to be gracious to you. It's not going to be a heavy burden. It's going to be a yoke that is easy. You're going to find rest for your soul when you do my kingdom work. That's his promise. Okay, so for years, um, okay, I'll just share. For years, when it came to the Bay Area, and especially when it came to San Francisco, I would tell the Lord, God, I will go anywhere except San Francisco. I told the Lord, I said, I'm never working in San Francisco. I'm never living in San Francisco. I don't want to go to San Francisco. It's way too dark. Like, I don't want to go. Like, I just don't. And I told him, I don't have heart for it, right? God, I don't have the heart for San Francisco. So I don't want to go. And I told him, I'd rather you send me to another nation, like any nation, right? I was praying for Hawaii <laughs> for a very long time. Same nation, that's true. A different state, God. Right? Like, God, send me to Hawaii. I think there's unsaved people there. But then, or I was working down in South Bay. But then my job moved me to San Francisco. I got moved up. I didn't really have a say. Right? And even then, I was kind of like, ah, like, I'm going to work in the city, but I don't have a heart for the city, so I'm just going to get out and you know, not really think about it, not really pray about it. It's too dark. I don't want to think. It just sounds too hard, right? Ministry in San Francisco just sounds too hard. But this past New Year's, right, um, my husband and I, we were at a conference in Kansas City, and it's just like, it's called One Thing Conference, if you know it. Um, it's like 20,000 people, right, come from around the world to worship God into the New Year for like three or four days straight. So you're kind of in that atmosphere, 
right? You like feel the presence of God and it's, there's like a grace. And there was this moment when I was so, I was on my knees and I was so moved by the beauty of Jesus. Like my heart was responding to Jesus. And I said, God, I will do anything for you. I will, yeah, you know where this is going, right? (laughs) God, I will do anything for you. I'll, I'll go anywhere for you. I love you so much. Just tell me what your desire is. What do you desire of me? Right? It wasn't really out of striving. It was just, I love him. I love you so much. Right? I, want to, I want to give you everything, all of me, my life. And I, I remember the Lord saying to me, I wrote this on my journal, how will they hear without a preacher? Will you go, Emily? Will you go to the darkness of your workplace? Will you go to the darkness of San Francisco? And I just wept and I wept. And I wept. And honestly, part of it was because I was still in denial. Like, God, there's got to be another way. (laughs) I was weeping. But the other part of it was I was beginning to receive an impartation of faith for San Francisco and the Bay. Like I never had before. Like I felt like my heart was on fire for the city. Like truly, like it never had been before, right? Jesus was calling me in that moment to his yoke to his labor, and he was sharing his heart, his desire with me for this region. And that was really the turning point for me, right? Just a few years back, I would have told you San Francisco's screwed. Like, God's going to come back, and the city's screwed. It's just screwed. (laughs) I would have said that. That's how, you know, I thought. But I can stand here today and say, I'm believing for a revival in San Francisco. Right? The Lord had me start these like, weekly prayer meetings at my workplace in a Christian group. And it's, it hasn't been easy, right? We're still, it's small and inconsistent. But it's a beginning. And we're still going. Honestly, the fact that I haven't quit, it means I've, I'm winning. <laughs> right? If you don't quit, you win. <laughs> if you don't quit, you win. Just keep going. And when you fall, just get up and run again, and fall, and just keep going. If you don't quit, you win. Right? And so with San Francisco, even recently, the Lord's been just connecting my husband and I to people who have this burden and this desire to see the Lord move powerfully in San Francisco. San Francisco, it's ripe for a move of God. Where there's darkness, the light will be even brighter. So the yoke of Jesus, right, the one that he calls us to, it's all about his teachings, but you can't separate his teachings from the work that he calls us to. You can't just ingest information from Jesus and never walk it out, right? A part of his yoke is his desires, right? Yes, it's his character. So when you take on the yoke of Jesus, you are becoming more like Christ in your character, in love, in gentleness, in humility, Yes, it's his teachings. It's knowing the truth of the word, what God says about the world, who you are in Christ, what he says about the church. But it is also about his labor. It is about the work of the kingdom. Right? And we don't think of rest in the way that Jesus thinks about rest. Right? When we think about rest, I'm thinking about Maui and the beach and sipping watermelon juice. (laughs) right? There are things and desires in his heart, 
and I'm going to talk about the Bay Area specifically, there are things and people in bondage to the lies of the enemy whose hearts are burdened, they're weary, they're anxious, and they're empty. And they think that by worshiping at the altar of me and at the altar of self, that they're going to find the solution to the emptiness. And they're going to keep trying, and they're going to keep losing because they're never going to find it. It's never going to be enough. And the Lord looks at that with mercy, and he says, will you go? Will you go to that person who is weary and burdened? Will you be my hands and feet? Will you labor with me? Will you take up my yoke? Right? And it's not going to look the same for everyone. Right? Not everyone is called to the specific type of ministry that I am. And I'm not, oops, one sec. I'm not called to the ministry that you are. Right? Some of you are called to shepherd the people that are sent right, as missionaries in this area, in the church. Some of you are called to education. That's crucial. Our schools are, we need godly men and women in our schools praying for the next generation. Some of, our, some of you are called to the medical field to be the gentleness and the love of Jesus to those that are, for some of them, at the lowest points in their life. To be standing in the gap Yes, for their healing, but for their souls too. For freedom, for deliverance from the bondage of the enemy. Right? So it's not the same for all of us. But I believe that if you're here, you're probably called to the Bay Area. You can't run away from that. You might not think you are, but you're called to the Bay Area. You're called to be a light in this place of darkness. You're called to seek the Lord and ask him, Jesus, what do you desire? What are your dreams? Not my dreams, not my agenda, not what I want, but what are the things that you want to pour out over San Francisco, over the Bay? And you're called to respond to that, not out of obligation, but because you see the gentleness and the humility in the beauty of a savior who laid his life down for us. Our lives and our obedience, it's a response to who he is. You guys know that? We're not trying to earn salvation. That's going back to the demonic lies and the bondage. We can't earn salvation. Not with our own righteousness. Our lives are a response to what he's already done. So I'm going to close soon. Ooh, I'm doing good on time. I'm going to close soon. I want to ask the worship team to actually come up. I have a little bit left, but if y'all can come up. Can we dim some lights? It's, like, really bright. Just a few. Okay, thank you. All right. So my husband had a vision a few years ago. Babe, I'm going to share it, okay? Okay, my husband had a vision a few years ago. I didn't ask for his permission in advance, so <laughs> thanks. Um, so maybe like six years ago, right? And this was before we both worked in the city, before we lived basically on the border of San Francisco. And this was still when I was telling the Lord, I don't want to do ministry in San Francisco, right? Like I'll go anywhere but SF. But my husband has, had this vision. Actually, he was in ministry at the time. So neither of us were like, yes, we're going to work in SF, right? Um, so over San Francisco, he sees these jail cells, right? He sees these jail cells and they're made of money, and he sees these like stacks of cash as like the, what do you call it, as like the, found, the structure of the jail cells. And he sees the coins and they're like bars. 
And behind these jail cells are people, and they're laboring, and they're working. And I remember you saying something like they were, like, on their laptops, right? They were just working away. And they were locked up behind these cells made of money. And then he sees a wind blow through and knock it all. He, this wind comes, blows through and knocks it all away, right? He blows it through. And he says, it was the wind of the Holy Spirit And the Holy Spirit blew that money. He blew it away, and it was sent to the nations to fund overseas missions. I believe that the move of the Spirit in San Francisco, I believe that the obedience of the church to be the hands and feet of Jesus and set captives free is going to lead to, yes, freedom here, but it's going to lead to freedom overseas too. Revival here is going to spark revival in the nations. Our obedience here is going to lead to the salvation of millions in the nations. So the yoke of Jesus and being called to his kingdom labor, even though it isn't easy, guys, this is my testimony, my spirit comes alive like no other when I remember that vision, when I work for that vision, when I look into the eyes of Jesus and I see his desire and his gentleness and his graciousness and his mercy, I am filled with the spirit, the spirit of life. I am filled with a peace. I am filled with an excitement that is the exact opposite of weariness. Right, there's like a sense of life and purpose that comes from communing with Jesus and doing his work. It's like a nearness to Jesus that even in the darkest of nights, you feel his closeness. Even in the moments where I'm like, God, no one came to prayer meeting this week at work. It's hard. I feel his closeness. And I feel him say, I know how you feel. I felt that rejection too. I know how you feel. I'm waiting too. I know how you feel. He comes and he empathizes with us. But as we do it with him, there is a true rest. There is a true fulfillment. There is a true satisfaction in our souls that the world can't give. You're laboring for eternal things, guys. That's what he calls us to. Have you ever thought, like, what am I going to do? What am I going to be doing in 10,000 years? I'm going to be, like, crawling all over Jesus. Love me! What are you going to be doing in 100,000 years? 500,000. You guys, our life, it's so much more than just these decades on earth. And the labor that Jesus calls you and me to, it's a labor that's going to count and matter in five million years. It's going to store up a treasure that matters for us in 10 million years. It's going to reap a reward for us. Our obedience to Jesus here is going to reap a reward for us. Did you know that there's a reward? It's not bad to want to do things for a reward. It's just the wrong reward that's bad. But Jesus says, I'm a rewarder. I have treasure in heaven for you. And that treasure in heaven, it's going to last through the next 100,000, 500,000, 1 million, 5 million, 10 million years. Labor for the right things, guys. Labor for the right kingdom. 
Be free from the lies of the enemy. Don't submit again to the lies that you've been delivered from. Don't live for yourself. That's only gonna last however many decades in your life. Live for the things that are gonna matter in five million years. That's what I wanna live for. So today, it starts with an invitation. Come to me, all who are weary. Take up my yoke and find rest for your soul. Today, that's the invitation for you. For some of you, you're weary and you're anxious and you just need to come to Jesus for rest. That's the first step for you today. You feel the anxiety and the restlessness and the worry and the weariness and and you don't know how to get rid of it. I've been there. I mean, this year was rough. You just need to come to Jesus. He invites you. You need to look into his eyes You need to see the gentleness in his heart that he laid down his life for you and how much more, how much more is he going to give you in this life, right? And for others, you feel like you've been maybe living for yourself or submitting to the lies of the world or submitting to the lies that you've already been delivered from, but you feel that struggle. You're like, "I, I thought I was done with this lie. You know, whether it's about who you are Right, the lies of the enemy that say you're not worthy of salvation, you're not worthy to be loved. Right, God has forgotten you. God is not real in your life. He's not doing anything. Jesus says, "Come, come again. Come and take up my yoke. Come and learn from me. Come and learn from me, who is never anxious and never restless." And for some of you, I feel like the Lord's saying, will you go to the darkness of the Bay Area? And he's calling you to kind of recommit. Will you go to the darkness of your workplace? Intentionally asking the Lord, God, what are you doing here? Who do you have me talk to? Who do you have me minister to? Who do you have me show love to today? Will you go to the darkness of San Francisco in the Bay Area? Will you go? Will you pray? Will you pray for a revival and for a move of the Spirit? Will you believe and keep believing and keep believing? Will you go? And so if we can all come, like, you know, rise to our feet if you're able. You know, Jesus says, come. That's what it all starts with. It's an invitation. It's an invitation to come to me, him, the person of Jesus. Not some man in the sky that barely relates to us, but Jesus, the person who sees us and knows us. He knows every thought. He knows every anxiety. He knows the weariness of your soul. And he says, I care for you. The person of Jesus invites you today. And he says, come. In your weariness and in your burden, come. And so today, you know, no pressure. If your heart is responding to that invitation of Jesus to come, I just want to invite you to the altar today. 
like right now. <laughs> um, it's a prophetic act of coming to him, of saying, Jesus, I'm coming, I'm taking my anxiety and my weary and my burden. And at the altar, there's a great exchange. And I'm giving it to you and I'm taking your teachings and your truth and your, your values, God. And so that invitation is open and the worship team is gonna lead us in prayer. Whether you're weary or you're anxious, come as a prophetic act. Whether you are struggling with the lies of the enemy, come as a prophetic act. Or whether you're saying, I will go to the darkness of this area and take up your yoke, come as a prophetic act. Don't hesitate.